walks on his feet. He looks up and gives me a grin and says, Hey, dude, you too must be from Marin. Marin County's A-OK from Tamastin and all the way to M.A. Fresh organic veggies in the market every day. The Dennis, Dylan, and N-W-A. Hello, this is uh, the Run the Marin County the Run TMC podcast, a podcast about basketball in Marin County. And I am Duffy Ballard. Here with me is Coach Levine. What's going on, Dave? Duff, lovely to be here. Um, Just going to give it 110%. Going to take it one day at a time, do what I can to help the ball club today. Yeah, as you always do. Uh, And watch out when Dave gives 110%. There will be some needing to wipe down the sweat off the hardwood. Guaranteed. He's a big sweater. Aggressive sweater. This is true. Um, okay, well, we're going to move on with a thank you to Stroke Nine and their classic Marin that they actually wrote and recorded at Marin Academy uh, when they started back in uh, 1990 there at uh, Marin Academy, Stroke Nine. So thank you, Stroke Nine. They have a show coming up uh, at October 14th, on October 14th at Hot Monk in Nevada. Love Stroke Nine. I was at their Hot Monk show last year. It was a rockin' good time. Great band, great people. Luke, good friend of ours. So everybody go check them out. Mm-hmm. They're, they're fun. Just like there aren't that many pro basketball players, uh, as we said about Tom, there aren't that many Marin County natives who are legit rock stars. And Stroke Nine is on that list. Yeah. That's a different podcast. We, we could list. We could list, but we could. We could. Maybe that's our follow-up podcast after this one tanks. I think it's Jerry Garcia and Luke, and that's it. I, don't, I can't think of anybody else. No, there's more. But okay. let's move on, Duff. All right. Well, we are on to episode two, Dave, and uh, we've pretty much defied the odds by moving past episode one and uh, the pilot. We're going to call this another pilot, uh, and we're going to keep piloting until uh, we get it right. And uh, we recognize that that Fulton episode and interview was great. Uh, and that we got a lot of rave reviews from the half dozen listeners. But we think this is going to be a pretty good episode, too. We're going to get into that. Our guests, we have two guests today. We've already recorded their interview. It was really good. Uh, but first, let's do our little intro segment, and we're going to banter a little bit, Dave. Time to banter. Let's banter. I'm ready to roll. The iced coffee's here. Um, it's a thing. Uh, Duff, you and I played some pickup hoops this morning. Um, everything hurts right now, so it sounds like kind of a normal... Saturday for us. So how are you doing today, my friend? Yeah, I should feel pretty good considering that we we're playing against the Archie Williams boys varsity team and they are very fast uh, and they, they Velcro the heck out of you on screens, Dave. I got Velcroed yeah. a number of times today. Um, so it was, I also missed multiple shots from the nail. We tried to hit you at the nail. We tried to hit me at the nail. And you and did I, not nail it. I did not nail at the nail. So uh, listeners, if you are uh, scratching your head what the heck are these guys talking about velcro and nail we encourage you to listen to episode one mm-hmm. because we covered this and we cover iced coffee and we, we got the iced coffee again today dave uh, this time i have a spoon so it's fantastic nice for, nice for clinking all right uh let's see so we're going to start this intro with that uh, as a reminder that during the season once it starts we're going <clears> to <throat> give some game updates some scores some you know players of the week that sort of thing yeah but for now we're in the preseason there's not as much going on. We could travel around to AAU ball. In fact, we are traveling around to AAU ball, but we're not sure that giving the, the scores and highlights of, of these tournaments in Venetia and Fairfield and, you know, wherever, you know, Fairbanks, Alaska is worth it. Not compelling copy not for our com- listeners. Yeah. 
So we're going to uh, start with uh, some fall updates. And I think, Dave, you're going to talk about you know, some of the uh, rule changes coming up and then also a little bit about what's going on right now with these with the fall ball without getting into too many specifics. Yeah. So one thing we thought would be useful to cover for our listeners, some of you may have heard about this, but there is one pretty big rule change that's going into effect. It's actually going to, into effect across the country for high school basketball. Um, the CIF, which is the California Interscholastic Federation, which governs the rules for California high schools, adopted this change as well, um, but it's going out throughout the nation. So um, assume most of our listeners understand what the, the bonus is in basketball, but just real quick, um, when a team commits a certain number of fouls and a half, um, every foul, every common foul beyond that number, a common foul being a non-shooting foul, so like a reach-in or a block, uh, results in the other team shooting free throws, right? And so for our whole lives, Duff, up until this season, uh, the bonus was reached when a team would hit seven fouls and a half. So the seventh foul and beyond, the other team, if it's a non-shooting foul, would shoot one and one. So they would shoot one free throw. If they make it, they get another one. If they miss it, it's a live ball. So this rule has changed. So now teams will shoot two free throws automatically on any common or non-shooting foul once the other team is in the bonus, whereas previously it was a one and one The other big change is that the bonus is now hit when a team reaches five fouls in a quarter, right. and then the fouls reset at the end of each quarter, right. as opposed to seven fouls and a half. So uh, it's interesting. The National Federation of High School Sports, or NFHS, uh, released a statement and a quote, which I will, will read because you wonder, okay, what drove this change? And they said, uh, the Rules Committee studied, this is a quote, the Rules Committee studied data that showed higher injury rates on rebounding situations and saw this as an opportunity to reduce opportunities for rough play during rebounds. Additionally, resetting the fouls each quarter will improve game flow and allow teams to adjust their play by not carrying foul totals to quarters two and four. Um, Duff, what are your thoughts on this rule change? Yeah, uh, a little hard to say. You know, I, as a as a viewer of college basketball in particular, but also the high school game, it is kind of exciting when you get in the fourth quarter and maybe it's a six you know six point game and you're in the one on one and of course they're shooting the one on one three times and then it moves on to you know double bonus, but it, it always allows for the you know the miss and the quick down the floor and a three and suddenly it's a three point game so sure. that's not going to be there uh, and. Maybe you know injury considerations. You know maybe flow of the game. You know maybe there's less fouling. It, it's hard to say. Uh, I think what I've noticed in our league game, or you know where Dave and I play over 35, uh, really high level over 35 basketball, which means we kind of trudge up and down the floor and, mm -hmm. and throw it into our big guys and let them score. But uh, what I've noticed is that with under these rules they've just implemented in the fall, that you know teams can go into like a four corners offense with the lead seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And it's pretty hard to come back. So I think, but it's a running clock, a little bit different, right. you know, than the high school game, but you know, call out to, you know, uh, silver peso. They went into four corners with, you know, essentially 13 minutes left in the game with a six point lead. And they were, you know, I, I'm exaggerating, but yeah, but we're yeah, not yeah. bitter. We're, we're no, 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 we're defending champions, right, Dave? Exactly. Yeah, so exactly. Peso, if you're if you're listening, yes, we love you. Yeah. But yeah, it will it will be interesting to see how this plays out. You know, I've talked to a bunch of coaches, um, and yeah, the, what you said, Duff, I agree that coming back will be tougher because uh, historically, you know, if teams weren't great free throw shooting teams, the one and one was really tough for them, and the team trailing would 
get the rebound and, and go. Here, when you get two shots, it just gives you a better chance to at least get one point on that trip down the floor. So, you know, you and I are both coaching high school this season, so we will observe firsthand the impact of this new rule. And so throughout this podcast, you know, every week we can kind of check in and see what, what changes we're seeing right. from the games. But right. um, so beyond that, here we are in the middle of fall. Um, you know, the regular season for high school and CYO hoops begins late October, early November. Actually, I think October 30th is the first day of practice for high schools in the state of California. So right now we have some kids are playing fall sports, obviously, um, but the hardcore hoopers are, are playing fall AAU, as you said, or club basketball. A reminder here in Marin, we have you know NBBA 24-8 are two of the most prominent club or AAU programs, and they're both fantastic. And I see a bunch of kids are playing um, either either one or even some kids are playing for both NBBA and 24-8 um, and getting a lot of games in on every weekend. Um, I'm coaching two teams, um, two, two girls teams, and it's been a lot of fun to see the kids work hard and, and improve and get in shape. And that's one thing I wanted to, to talk about. It reminds me of um, a, a saying from Gino Arayema, who's the fantastic Yukon uh, University of Connecticut women's coach, has a great saying about this. Um, but actually, well, actually, Duff, I should ask you. Um, any guesses on how many Final Fours and championships the UConn women have won under Gino Ariema? This was a planned quiz, wasn't it, Dave? No, this is totally spontaneous. <laughs> and You're pimping me. So my answer is 73 because they <laughs> seem to win it every year, sometimes twice a year. But at least yearly, yeah, they're in it. You're not totally off. So the, the, the real answer is uh, Gino has taken them to 20 Final Fours and they have won 11 titles, which is... Um, just ridiculous success. So this guy knows how to coach and how to win. Um, and his saying that he always says, and I say this to my players all the time, is, quote, great players don't get tired. And that really is, I think, one of the key distinctions between good players. There are a lot of good players. There aren't that many great players. And being in shape is a huge part of basketball, to state the patently obvious stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, you look at St- Steph Curry. It's, you know, I think people recognize that. It's been talked about and written, written about in terms of what a phenomenal athlete he is, how much he runs over the course of the game and how he's always ready to, even though he's just sprinted for you know 100 feet, that back and forth zigzag, he's still ready to collect the ball and execute his shots, sometimes from 30 feet. I mean, that just takes you know, an incredible level of fitness. Uh, and I, I see some guys um, in our program at Archie, like Owen Bugas, man, that guy is never stops. He's just in phenomenal shape. So this is the time of year to get in shape. If you're out there, if you want to play high school ball, get after it. Get in shape. Uh, and Steph is a perfect, perfect example. So anyway, fall hoops is about getting in shape in addition to working on your game. And the kids who are playing other fall sports, you know, as we've talked about, like Fulton mentioned this, his dad was all about getting him to play multiple sports, you know, tennis, soccer, lacrosse, volleyball, golf, whatever kids are doing in the fall. Um, that's great too. Get perfect way to get ready for hoops. So um, anyway, moving on, Duff, I think it's time that we shared a word from our fantastic sponsors, right? Right. Let's roll into the <laughs> sponsor segment. This will not take too long. Do you know why, Dave? Um, I'm, I'm guessing we don't have any sponsors. Still no sponsors. Still no sponsors. Okay. But we still do have a sponsorship package, and we think it's pretty clever. We have different levels of sponsorship. We've had the layup, the mid-range, beyond the arc, the take the charge, uh, and we're probably going to come up with other levels as well. Sure. But if you're interested, now you can reach out. We'll share the package with you, and uh, you'll have an opportunity to have... Potentially, Dave and I read the advertisement about your business on the podcast every week and do it in dramatic fashion. 
it's like um who was it the npr guy carl castle um there's that wait wait don't tell me weekend mm. show and the the prize for winning for the callers is to have carl castle leave your voicemail message back right um you know people don't really know what voicemail is anymore but but sponsors um as the wise one carly ray jepson once said call me maybe please call us we're here okay good stuff dave Call me maybe. I didn't. I did not predict that she was going to make it onto the podcast. And here, here she made it. Second, second episode. I mean, it's like it's um, a Carly Rae Jepsen kind of podcast. All right, we're going to move on to the segment on basketball glossary, basketball dictionary, yep. uh, the language of basketball. And last week we talked about the nail and Velcro, and we already worked those in earlier in the podcast. So hopefully you're in the know now. We're not going to review these uh, terms you're going to have to go back and listen to the first episode if you didn't get it uh so we're going to move on we each have a term today dave you want to start would love well, to well, i'm going to have some iced coffee okay, i think dave. you should uh glad you asked Duff. so the term today this is a more of a deep cut duff but i think it's a good one um is floppy action um so first of all when you hear the word action in the context of basketball um, it essentially means an offensive framework so you'll hear zoom action chicago action we're, we're going to talk a lot about um, different actions over the course of this podcast, and you'll hear it in jargon. So um, floppy action is a very popular offensive framework that's used. I see it in the NBA and WNBA all the time. It's used in colleges, and it's even used at the high school level. Um, and in fact, I mentioned I'm a Branson grad, and I played for, for Jonas Honick, and I'm good friends with Stevie Johnson, and Jonas and Stevie coached there for years. And they would run floppy action when they had a guy named Peyton Malarkey fantastic point guard who's a really good shooter this was a couple years ago he's a sage uh, now he's a that's right a pomona, pomona sage and shout out to chris ballard my brother pomona sage there you go um greg popovich former coach of the sage right. yeah. um anyway so um jonas and stevie had a great system they would run very simple plays um and floppy action i'm gonna explain it it's it's not hard it's very simple framework but really good um particularly if you have a shooter like like a peyton uh, the Warriors run it with Steph. You see WNBA teams run it with Kelsey Plum or Diana Taurasi. Um, Caitlin Clark at Iowa runs it, this Dame Lillard. So anyway, here's how it works. You have a, a player up top. The point guard has the ball at the top, um, bringing the ball up. And then you have a post player at one block and a post player at the other block, right? And I assume everybody, but everybody knows where the blocks are. And then you either have two wings under the basket, or you could typically, the way teams do it, is they have a double stack on one side and a single post player on the other side, and one player under the basket facing out, and that is your shooter. That's Steph Curry, that's Caitlin Clark, that's Dame Lillard, Ja Morant. Um, and really, this is a read and react sort of structure. So the player under the basket gets to choose. He or she can go left or right. He, can use, he or she can use the double screen on one side, or the single screen on the other side. The defense doesn't know which way they're going to go. Uh, nobody knows which way they're going to go, right? And then the rest of the team needs to react. So if the player uses the double screen, the point guard will go over to that side, uh, potentially feed the ball to the shooter coming off the double screen, or maybe it's a decoy, and the, the double screen then goes and sets an away screen for the other post, and that sets up a nice post situation, or we have a seal. So um, it's, a, it's a read and react kind of a structure. It's called floppy action because... It gives the player a, a choice. Um, and, you know, read and react is an important term in and of itself. Um, players are not robots, right? So coaches can draw up these great complicated structures, but um, players need to read and react to what the defense is doing. 
Um, and that's what this kind of action promotes. And I heard a, a great interview with Lindy LaRoque, who's an ex-Stanford player. She played for Tara after I was there um, and is now the head coach at uh, University of Nevada, Las Vegas, UNLV. And she said, um, we don't run offense to run offense. We run offense to score. So even though they have different sets and frameworks for their players, they want their players to be looking to score and not just to run the offense. And so I think floppy action is a great uh, representation of that. And it's a, a great and very popular way to have your hair these days if you're a teenager. I'm a noticing lot of, a, a lot of floppy action, especially with my son Holden and his buddies. They all have a little floppy action going. That's a really great point. I mean, you and I with sort of the high and tight look, we're not, we're not in vogue on the hair side. So good point. Duff, do you have a term for I us today? I got something. Yeah, not quite as uh, technical. This is more... A, a basic, uh, yeah, you know, I'll have to turn my laptop onto focus, Dave. There we go. That's fine. Yeah. The okay. dings are pleasant. Right. I mean, we have distractions. Like, yeah. that's, that's part of our shtick, right? I mean, so this cheers. Is, yeah, this, yeah. this is an authentic podcast. <laughs> so, okay. What are your, what, right. what, what are your, uh, what's your term? All right. Two terms. Players and coaches, almost certainly, especially high school level, I've heard of these. Um, they are the blob and the slob. Okay, so the, the blob stands for baseline out of bounds. And then if you are putting in a blob play, it's essentially a play you're putting in underneath the opponent's basket. And people will debate. We've had this debate uh, with others whether the goal is to design a play that scores or design a play that just gets the ball in and doesn't turn the ball over. Maybe we'll, you know, we'll do that another day. But you know, for, the, for the time being... It's a long debate, though. Uh, that, if you hear blob, it's the baseline. If you hear slob, it's the sideline. So you're in the, the opponent's half court, and now you're running a play, but you've, you've come out of a timeout. This could be an end-of-game situation. So you have the ball, you know, five seconds, six seconds to go. You want to get a good look. You're calling your slob play. Usually teams will have... Maybe between three and five blobs and maybe one or two slobs uh, that they have ready to go at any one point. We had a great one uh, that we ran a lot with our CYO program last year uh, with, with Tom Poser and Cheeks, Scott Tachiki, uh, called Circle. Very simple action. I won't chalkboard it for you, Dave, but essentially it's a, it was a visual, uh, a visual slight that kind of took... Uh, defender's eyes off of the guy that they didn't think was coming to the basket yep. just for a second, and then it would result in one, one or two, I'd say pr at least two layups a game. Whether we made them or not, that was another question, but we got layups off of it. So, yeah, that, that was we call that circle. And, yeah, blob and slob. Love it. Great stuff. All right. So, okay, it's time for us to do the uh, intro part of the intro where we intro the interview. Let's intro the intro. Yeah. So um, we actually spent, you know, a good amount of time in this interview talking about both uh, the backgrounds of, of both of these gentlemen, but um, we'll do a, a quick one here, and I wanted to hit on a few things. We both wanted to hit on a few things. So first of all, our guests today are, uh, are Tom Poser and John Granucci. Um, both are Drake High grads from the mid-1990s. Uh, yes, listeners, if you're scoring at home, that's uh, two podcasts, three guests, all Drake grads. Duffy and I promise that we will diversify our high school representation going forward. We will not only have Drake grads 
on this podcast. But um, these are well, three... it's a challenge to others to answer our invitations to come on the podcast. Right? This is true. Right. This is true. We if do. If you have... want to rep for Nevada or San Rafael, answer our calls. There you go. Gauntlet thrown down. Um, so these are two fantastic people. You'll, I think that shines through in, in the interview. Um, they both happen to be great friends of ours, uh, both mine and Duffy's. Uh, but more importantly, they're, they're phenomenal basketball players, amazing coaches, and just really great ambassadors of the game. And if you're involved in the fabric of Marin basketball and have been for years, chances are you know these guys. And if you don't know them or you're not from Marin, I think their, their stories and their perspective is, is really valuable. Um, there's, one, there's one thing I wanted to point out about, um, about Tom, and then Duff, you can talk a bit about John Granucci, or Nooch as we call him affectionately, but we allude to this in the interview, but then we, we didn't really get back to it, that Tom, after his playing days in high school and college, where he walked on at UC Santa Barbara and played Division I basketball, high-level Division I basketball, he went on to play pro ball. So he played semi-pro ball in Kansas, he played pro ball overseas, and that's, that's not... Um, that's not a small thing. I mean, to, to actually play professionally anywhere in the world is there's a very small number of people who can say that, um, and Tom is one of them. So really a great player. Um, and in addition to that, the last 20 or so years, just a fantastic coach, unbelievable with, with kids, teaching footwork, but then also just motivation. Um, really a great, really fun coach to watch and just listen to. I learned from him a lot. Uh, we've coached practices together. So um, I'm a huge fan of both Tom and John and, uh, Duff, you can say a little bit more about our friend, our friend Granucci. Yeah. Well, much like the podcast, I think we're just gonna, you know, we're going to shut Nooch out a little bit here. I'm going to talk about Tom. Yeah. Let's just do that. Yeah. Forget that Nooch guy. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree with you uh, about Tom. And I just have to say that, you know, I've coached with Tom here for a number of years and he is an amazing coach as well as an amazing player. And I've learned a lot from him, both, uh, both, both playing and on coaching, but, Nooch, also an amazing player, a favorite teammate of mine, does everything right. We talk about this in the podcast. They talk about it. So I won't, I won't go into too much detail before they talk about it. But one thing about him as a coach, and I haven't seen him coach as much, but he, he comes very prepared. He's very meticulous. He has his notes, and he's a perfectionist on technique. I saw him do a progression with our seventh graders a couple years ago on defensive technique. And it was perfect. And he stopped you know, at every point along the way where you had to stop to make sure they got it right. And he commands the respect when I've seen him run clinics that the kids listen, which, you know, it's easier said than done to get that when you're coaching. It's one. It's a big challenge. So Nooch, just a first first rate guy and a really good coach player. He also, during the podcast, he's a very polite individual, and we had some bacon, as you, re- as you recall, Dave, we had some bacon available. We sure did. Uh, and Nooch grabbed a piece of bacon mid-podcast, and then he was holding it in his hand, and then he wasn't sure whether he should take a bite or not, because yeah. he didn't want to disrupt our audio. And as we know, we don't really care all that much about our interruptions, but he, you know, he held the bacon probably for a good 10 minutes. I was distracted. If, if my questioning seemed a little odd, it's because I was just staring at that bacon in his hand, wondering what he was going to do with it. <laughs> what was he going to do with it? Yeah. yeah. So fantastic individual, whole family, first class. Uh, they really are. Granucci family. So we'll probably have them uh, more touches with them on this, on this show moving forward, I would imagine. Absolutely. So uh, without further ado, I think we should uh, get to the interview and then Let's we, can, move on. we can recap after. Enjoy the interview. All right. Uh, welcome, guys. It's great to see you. Tom Poser, John Granucci, 
Um, Dave, always good to see you. Great, to, you. great to be here. Thank you for being here. Thanks I love, for having us. I love being the shortest guy in the room. Um, I'm excited for your podcast. you're in the tallest chair right now, so you are looking down at me. It's, 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 my stature's pretty good right uh, now. Question, uh, Duffy's over there. Yeah. You're not in the conversation? Are you going to participate today? Probably not. Oh. I mean, you, you can, you know, know that I'm in the room. You can maybe sort of, if you want to okay. talk about me in a favorable manner, you can mention and you can sort of look over. But if not, um, it seems simpler to only have three people involved. Sure. Tom, do you have other observations about the room? Anything else you want to say? Uh, uh, I guess I am in the video. Uh, architecture. Yeah. No, I like it. Decor. Mid-century. Okay. Uh, Tom and John, thank you guys for, for joining us. It's great to, to chat with you. You both have... Um, what I think are really interesting, compelling stories about your basketball lives, but they are not traditional stories. And that's why I thought, we thought it would be fun to have you guys on. So I'll do a quick um, background on each of you and I'd like you to, to jump in and correct anything that I, that I get wrong. But we'll go, we'll go in order of height. So Tom's gonna go first. Great, I'm uh, ready. Tom is 6'7". So Tom, you uh, grew up in Marin County. Yes, in in the west on the west side. Yeah, San Antonio Fairfax. San Antonio Fairfax. Yes, sir. You played CYO basketball growing up, but you did you were multiple sports, right? Tennis. I played every single sport because I think back then we all played every single sport. It was the seasonal approach to sports. There was no travel, anything from my experience anyway. Right, right. And I played a little bit of basketball, but I only played uh, two years of CYO. So interestingly, and you know, not to, to jump ahead, Tom is a played pro basketball. Just to, to get to the the bottom line here, there are not many people in the world who can say they pulled a paycheck playing basketball. Tom is one of them. Tom and CYO, you were you were on the B team, right? Well, we John and I debated about this because I remember being on the B team and not playing. But John reminded me that we only had one team, and also I didn't play on that team. So John was the star of the team. He was uh, unique and special and very talented at a very young age, and I was not. We'll get to John. <laughs> John, just drink your coffee over there. Um, okay, so... Yeah, for, bad, for, bad, bad at basketball. Is the, bad the at basketball. That's right. Go to high school at Drake, and listeners, uh, I promise we will have guests who are not Drake High grads. Uh, we're, we're three for three on Drake grads now in our first two episodes, but uh, Drake is, as we've said the mecca of basketball in Marin for, for many years. Um, so Tom went to Drake, and you were a JV player through your junior year. Is that correct? Uh, I was on the freshman team my freshman year. Yep. And again, did not play very much. My sophomore year, I tried out for JV, and I was cut. I did not make the JV team as a sophomore. Hmm. And um, I offered to carry the bags and be a ball boy. And with the idea that I would earn my jersey, and halfway through the season, I asked for and was given my jersey. So I played the second half of my sophomore year yep. on JV. And then my junior year, there was a group of us juniors, including Johnny, um, who were, well, he was clearly varsity, so he played varsity as a junior and played. I was uh, one of the juniors that stayed down on JV, and uh, I, I did very well that year, as you might imagine, being a junior on JV. Yes. Yeah. That's but, right. you know, we... Again, you know, our, our listeners are, we're talking to players, parents, um, youth players, high school kids. People are so hung up on, got to make the A-team, got to make varsity. You're someone who played pro basketball in your junior year when most players are going to play varsity. You play JV. You didn't say, ah, oh, crap, this sucks. You made the most of it. You dominated. 
And then your senior year, you're on the varsity. You're a contributor to a team that wins the Northern California Championship, right? Yeah, and I think I think uh, when I was a little bit younger, I used to sort of brag about playing Division One or playing pro. And now that I'm uh, sort of coaching and teaching and running some CYL programs and mentoring young people, uh, I've sort of changed that story, uh, not to being uh, the successful side of it, but more the perseverance and resiliency side of it. Right. Um, and often I'm, I am the guy often having to talk to a young person and saying, hey, we're going to put you on the B team this year. Those are very hard conversations because everyone wants to be on the A team. Right. Uh, but you can't get better sitting at the end of the bench. And uh, the JV as a junior thing for me was a B team thing. I did not make varsity. Is the, right. the other way to look at it is I got cut from varsity. And I had an incredible season. I learned how to play basketball because I got to shoot and score and run and touch. And I'm convinced that had I been on varsity that year, I would have never advanced beyond that point because I would have been at the end of the bench and never played. So that, that was, you have these breakout years. For me, across 30 years of basketball, that's 30, 40 years of basketball. Yeah. That's crazy. World. Yep. Right. I've got, you know, three of those years were breakout years in like an advancement of your basketball skill yeah. set. And that was, that was my first one in my, in my sort of lineage. So. And, yeah. I, and I'll just really Please. quick too, just, but part of that, Tommy, I think is, is your approach to that. You know, you set ego aside. You really understood where you were in your development, and you accepted that. Um, you know, I think you could pro- you probably you could have made that varsity team, um, but probably, as you said, maybe not have played as much, but didn't develop. But because you put that ego aside, you understood where you were. You accepted that. Um, that allowed you to take off. Yeah. In, in, in that year, so it's it was kind of how it played out, but also too how you approached it. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think I think what what I don't talk about, what what people don't see, is like the tremendous amount of work I was doing on the side in order to get yeah. better. It wasn't just like, hey, older kid, junior playing JV. That's when I started. That you have to run hills, you have to run stairs, you have to lift weights, you have to play one on one against older players. In the summers, it, we we coach pirate camp, and I would challenge Mike Hayward to one on one at lunch every day. And he would just crush me, crush me, crush me, crush me consistently forever. And that, to your point, I'm trying to be this great player and I'm choosing to get my butt kicked in front of the entire camp every single lunch right. until I finally got him, right? And I remember the moment. I remember the moment I got him. It was a special day, right? So How old were you? Uh, I didn't really get him until I was out of high school. Yeah. I was playing junior college at City College Santa Barbara I must have been 20 and obviously he is 10 years older yeah for our for our listeners first of all we, we throw out Pirate Camp uh, Drake High School has summer camp it's still there today it's called Falcon Camp because Drake is now Archie Williams Falcons um, it's a day basketball camp over the summers John and I met there when we were in I was in fourth grade I think John was in third grade Tom and I met there um Every kid in Marin has either gone to Pirate Camp or, or knows somebody who went there. Um, and it was run by Pete Hayward, who was a you know longtime Drake coach, won state title. We talked about Pete with, uh, with, with Mike Fulton and his son. Mike Hayward, phenomenal player, played at University of Washington, was freshman of the year in the Pac-10. And Tom Pro- probably, kicked his butt when he was 20. No, <laughs> barely finally edged by him. 
But he was on his, his, now that I'm older, I understand the start of the decline. And yeah. I was on my way up. And I was hungry and hunting. And look, he's the greatest, I think he's probably the greatest player to ever play, Drake slash Archie. Statistically, in state titles, and unbelievable. Yeah. So he's that guy that should kick your butt forever, and he did. So you, but that's part of the part of the journey, I think, is you pick someone out who's significantly better than you at basketball, and you play them as often as possible. But this is a cool theme, and Johnny, I promise we're going to get to your background too. Um, but it's a, it's a great theme for all of us, Tom. Just like so, when we were with Fulton, we talked about Doug DeBoer, Buck Chavez, two unbelievable players played all of them played pro not great high school players decent high school players really blossomed after high school same can be said for you um so you you get out of high school you play uh junior college ball at santa barbara well i was at ucsb and i tried to walk on and did not make it my freshman year yep and i was on the water polo team and then my sophomore year, I tried to walk on and did not make it. And I went into a little bit of a basketball mental downhill spiral. Yeah. Call it depression. Uh, and I was committed. I really wanted to play Division One basketball. And so I transferred to junior college. And I played uh, once. I went there halfway through. Anyway, yeah. I played a season at City College. And it was a lot like my junior year of high school. I did very well. Um one step below where I wanted to be playing. Right. Right. I was a little bit older than those guys. I was way more committed, just like it was so, so important to me. Um, so it went well. It was a good season. Then you went back to UCSB. Then I went to Davis. Uh, I got recruited to Davis, which was Division Two. I was there for two weeks, uh, started practice, and then decided I wanted to go back to Santa Barbara and play Division One. So I left Davis. Yep. One of the hardest conversations I've ever had is going to the coach and saying, thank you so much, I gotta go. Yep. That Davis team went on to win the Division Two National Championship. Right. So I was not missed. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow they found a way. They figured it out. <laughs> that was the minus leads to a positive. Right. And then I went down to Santa Barbara, and, uh, and by that time, this was now my first fourth year of college I, I made the team as a walk-in and it was a little bit of luck they need they had a spot yeah uh, they needed a big guy and it worked out great and it was coach Williams who came from Davis to Santa Barbara yeah so that and was so he you had a conversation two years before saying I don't want to play for you yeah. now you're saying can I play for you right <laughs> yeah so Bob Williams yeah legendary coach uh, one of my favorite um, coaches ever if not my favorite coach ever yeah, he won the D2 title without me at Davis. And then I caught Jerry Pins last year. So Jerry Pinn was the f- most famous coach in Santa Barbara history. Coach they, Brian Shaw. Yeah, they beat UNLV. Yep. Um, legend. And his last year was my junior year, first year at Santa Barbara. I played uh, six minutes that year. That's not, not per game, but in total. total. Okay. Yeah. And then my senior year, uh, here comes Bob Williams. So Pim out. We had a 7-22 and year, and it was time for Pim to, to walk away. And they recruit in Bob Williams. And so now the guy that I walked away from, yep. I got to have a hard conversation. I'm a walk-on. I'm not valuable at all. Uh, but I said to him, hey, coach, looks like we both made it to the Division One level. <laughs> Chasing our dreams together, brother. And, uh, and he laughed. And, you know, he, what, what I was, I, you know, and this is something I tell the kids, what I was was not a scorer or a player. And I did not play very much my senior year. But I was a practice player, and I was a scout player, and I ran into people and knocked them down and yeah. rebounded. All those things you have to be when you're not a star. Um, 
I tried to represent uh, while at UCSD. Awesome. That's a great segue into, and we're going to talk about your post-college playing a little bit, but that's a great segue into our friend John Granucci here sitting next to you. Because um, when I think of players who I've watched and played with, um, John is someone who just does everything right on the court. He is not a 25-point-a-game star. Um, he's not flashy. He just does everything right, and that's because he has lived his life playing basketball. And there's nobody, you know, all four of us here, Duffy's in the room as well. Um, we all play together on an adult league team. Um, no offense, guys. I love you all. My favorite teammate is is John. Um, John's 6'5". He does everything right. As I said, he plays defense. He can guard anybody, right? He can guard a point guard. He can guard a post player. Um, he passes the ball. He moves beautifully on the floor. He's unselfish. He's a great teammate. He sees things. So, John, um, let's talk about your basketball history. Yeah. Um, just like Tom's, not a, a you know, a, a straight line path that we typically see. First of all, you're one of five Granucci siblings. That's correct. All five of you played at Drake and were really good players at Drake. Yeah. Um, and I like to consider myself the worst out of the five. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> um, my two sisters played four years of varsity. My two brothers played three years. And I'm the only one that played just, just the two years. So they, they were more talented than, than me in, uh, you know, at that time. Uh, so talent is a, so talent's an interesting word, right? Uh, again, I'm not, I'm not BSing here. Uh, there's nobody I like playing with more than you because you do everything right on the court. You're an amazing teammate. Uh, but John is one of those guys who will, he'll defend the best player on the other team. He'll take the charge. He'll make the pass that leads to the pass to the score. And your coaches saw that, right? So you were a starter, key contributor to a Northern California championship team that played in the state championship game, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, your your brother Dave, 6'8", amazing player, played at San Jose State. Right. Um, you know... He was on that team. He was on that team as well. Yeah, and actually as a sophomore started um, the second half of the season in, in, in that state championship loss. Yeah. yeah. Over me. Over Tom. To be clear, yeah. That's right. <laughs> clear. Johnny was the, not just the captain of that team. By the way, that team was 32-4. and four, And both of us can tell you all the details around the four losses if, yeah. you, if you'd like to discuss That's that. That's okay. We got, we're, we're good. But Johnny was more than um, the captain and the starter. He was, he was the hard edge. He was the voice. He was the guy that would stick his face into somebody's face, you know, like when yeah. things get a little ugly and you need someone to set a hard screen and dive on the floor. That was Johnny. So he led by example, um, and we followed him. It was a very successful year. And, you know, I, I think, too, I, I learned, you know, as you described my game, I think I learned a lot of that during that season because we were so balanced and deep and, you know, taking a step back, looking at what we needed yeah. from, uh, from that team. And it kind of varied sometimes, you know, game to game. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, we needed someone to score because it was hard to put the bat, you know, ball in the basket or something else. Um, you know, we needed guys to, uh, you know, defend more, whatever yeah. it is. You just kind of, I like to, I like to believe I look back on, on those games in that season to see, okay, how can I contribute today um, in a way that can be helpful? Um, because we, I think we knew early on we had something going. Right. Um, and in that preseason, even in the first game 
of uh, MCAL. We had MC at Drake, um, and we beat him by 35. And okay, gosh, you know this is the and 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 and, and Marine Catholic ended up we ended up beating them in the in the final. So they were the you know the second best team in, in yeah. the league at the time. So we thought we were pretty good, um, and so we wanted to kind of just kind of see obviously how how far we can go. And so um, that was kind of my approach. Yeah, yeah. So talk about how basketball. Um, impacted your just your family. I mean, again, you got you got five siblings. You all play basketball. That's that's unique. I mean, you got we see a lot of obviously there are big families everywhere, but the fact that you have five kids, they all have the same interest. They're all really good. What were what was that like? It was funny. My my father, who liked basketball, wasn't much of a player. Yeah, played a, a little bit. You know. Um, you know, a pickup games. Uh, my mom was actually more of the ba- you know organized basketball player um, growing up, and uh, the women's game was much different than the men's game at that time. Yeah. You know, two dribbles and you, right. know, you didn't c- cross half court and all that kind of stuff. Crazy. Yeah. Um, but my father exposed us to basketball at an early age, and I remember you know sitting on his lap watching the NBA finals, you know, Lakers Celtics, and you know, and and getting interested in it and. Um, my brother Greg um, is the oldest. Is the oldest started playing, and you know we go to his games, and um, you know the first lab camp was at you know Kenfield yeah. uh, outdoor courts uh, at the middle school, and you know my dad got my brother involved then, and my sister was watching, who was wasn't old enough, and um, uh, the day that my father dropped my brother off for the camp. Meredith, my sister, my older sister goes, I want to play and ask Cap if, if she can get involved. And, and Cap said, yeah, come on. So um, it was just kind of that involvement um, and watched a lot of basketball on television. Yeah. Um, my, you know, my brother's games, we go down to Drake, we watch, you know, all the, you know, those dominant uh, Drake teams and um, just, just kind of... No, I, I guess I was studying without really knowing I was studying. I was just kind of watching the game um, to see how it was yeah. just being played. And I played CYO, I think, a year after. I think you were able to play it in the fourth grade, but I, for some reason I didn't get started until the fifth grade. But because of my exposure to the game, I was further advanced um, in understanding basketball right. than the other kids. Um, so I kind of you know, jumped right in and, and it was kind of natural. Great. Great. Well, you've also been a phenomenal coach and both of you have post your playing your high school, college, you guys have had a life of, of coaching basketball, right? And you're two of the best that I've ever seen, um, in terms of motivating, leading kids. And really what I wanted to talk about with you guys is you're both really good at evaluating talent. So I thought we'd jump into that because again, we're talking to um, let's say you got a an eighth grader who's listening to this, or a, a freshman or sophomore who's trying to make a team. You two both have been in situations where you've been in a gym of twenty five kids, and you got to pick ten to make a varsity team, right? Um, Tom, you've coached at the high school level, you've coached CYO for years, you've coached your own kids and other kids. John, you've coached high school assistant coach for Drake Roseville. Um, lot of experience what do you look for when you're evaluating players 
I think Johnny's more analytical and thoughtful on this stuff than I am, and maybe I'm a little more gut check, emotional, if that's a fair way to look at it. I, that's funny that you say that because <laughs> I, I, I kind of look at a player's just approach, you know, and I was, and you asked that question, I was thinking back on my time at Roseville, and we had the, our tryouts, and it was my second season there, and uh, we didn't have a point guard, no established point guard at the time. And um, the first day of tryouts, this kid comes in. Sorry, for you, for you listeners at home, point guards used to dribble the ball up and give it to somebody else. That's right. They didn't shoot three threes a, yeah. a season. Way back in the day. Right. That's exactly. what it was like. Exactly. And so um, this kid's early. Um, he was winning every single line drill. He was always near the ball. He was... You know, during breaks, he was engaged with other um, teammates. Um, you know, you know, in a, you know, they were. He was encouraging them, but also too, you saw him being had a rapport with each or building a rapport with, with each uh, teammate. And um, my brother, who was the head coach of that uh, team, um, I suggested that like keep an eye on this kid. Yeah. And he kind of came out of nowhere and ended up being our starting point guard. And we had a pretty nice, nice season. So I like to look at those kind of intangible kind yeah. of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you, you show up, you work hard, you, you like, you know, you, you, you know, you, you're passionate about the game. Um, you work well with others. You, you can, you can develop into, you know, a productive player that can contribute. Yeah. Um, and that is, that wants to, you know, that is coachable and coaches want to coach players like that and players want to play with players like that and so when we're looking at when you're looking at a team like that's the you know the team concept how is yeah. a player going to fit into a team so speaking of intangibles Tom I'm going to steal something that you literally just said to us before we were recording this you're talking about your kids showing up to practice you have a sophomore at Redwood freshman at Redwood say so just walk into the gym the coach is over there instead of walking out the other direction just walk up to the coach give him a fist bump and say how you doing coach I mean, those, those yeah. little things, right? Make eye contact. Yeah, you got to remember that you are one of 14,000 million kids that they have to see today. They might have had a bad day. They have a real job. They're yeah. not thinking about you at all. You're not a superstar. There are no superstars. Obviously, there's some kids that are automatic A-team kids and automatic varsity kids, and you, you know who they are. Um, but you have to set a... Uh, um, you have to set your brand. It's a little bit of a PR campaign. Yeah you have to set a standard for who you are and who you're going to be viewed as across time. And first off, Johnny's answer was as good as the answer I've ever heard on this ever. Yeah. That was perfect, right? That was beautiful. And I agree with all of it. Uh, just real world examples on that. Um, you know, we had, Redwood had um, what they call evaluations freshman year. And uh, there's no such thing as evaluations, right? Uh, so I left work early. I called my wife and I said, hey, 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 I'm taking Charlie to evaluations. And I just got 15 minutes in the car with him. And I said, listen, man, there are no evaluations. This is a tryout. This is a first impression. Yeah. So you got to walk in this gym early. It'd be good if you're already sweating. Your shoes better be on. I don't want to see your phone in your hand. Uh, you got a bunch of friends, and some of them uh, are going to want to chat early on their phones. And those are great kids, but you are going to stay away from those kids. And the first thing you do is find all the coaches and say, hey, how are you? My name is Charlie. If this bump them and walk away. You don't need to do anything more than that. And then you have to find a reason to dive on the court during this one hour you're in there. Yeah. 
I don't care what the reason is. Find a reason to be the one kid in the gym that hits the floor. And then your reputation for the next four years is hardworking. He's a dog. He'll hit the floor. You said it. But you walk in with your slides on, yeah. talking to your buddies, looking at your tick-tock, tick your ticky-tocky. <laughs> <laughs> you are forever that your kid. Your facey spaces. Yeah. That's right. You're forever that kid. Right. And I ran a tryout. Um, again, we don't call them tryouts anymore because we're a, we're a sensitive society now. Evaluations. Evaluations, which is fine. I get it. I'm on board uh, with the terminology and the nomenclature. Yeah. But I ran a, um, like a, what was it, fifth grade CYL tryout. And you know me, I'm a little too intense about this stuff. And it's a really serious tryout. And you know how it works, right? There's there's 40 kids in that grade. And we make one A team, and then we make even three even B teams. Well, you we already know, you're, it's it, everyone has a fair shot. But you already know the six or seven A team obvious kids. Mm-hmm. And you already know sort of the 27 B team kids. There's this group of six in the middle. We call them the bubble kids. And you're either going to be A or B. And that's really where the whole evaluation is about. Like yeah. the, the secret sauce on evaluations is often it's just about six kids. Six to ten kids. And then you hope to get surprised. Right. And, uh, you know, there's this one kid. And he's always been sort of the bubble kid and the tenth kid. Uh, and I'm like, hey, you know, this is probably the year he doesn't make it. And that's okay. And then in the evaluations, we're going four on four, full court. He dives for the ball on one side, pops up, sprints and dives on the exact opposite sideline, pops up, and I said in the back of my mind, he's in. I'm like, yeah, that's it. Because it's the 10th kid, it's the ninth kid. So don't I want the kid on the floor? That's don't cool. I want the kid who's first to the huddle? Right? Do I have to motivate the 10th kid? Right? So Hey, for our just Tommy, just for our parents out there, if they're confused about you know, diving on the floor and what that means. I mean, think about a game. Sometimes one possession is the difference between winning and losing a championship. And if there's a ball that's on the floor, we call it a loose ball. And someone leans over to pick it up and somebody else dives on that ball, gets the ball, calls timeout, saves possession for their team. That leads to a basket. That leads to a championship. That one possession. That's why coaches love kids who will sacrifice their body, dive on the floor for that loose ball. Well, that's Johnny, right? And that's why we were so good in high school because he wasn't just the leader and the voice and the captain. He led by example and he dove on the floor and he ripped the ball out of people's arms. So those extra possessions. We had a game, um, was that NCS Finals, the big comeback game? This we're flashing back. But we were down 12. Oh, yeah. Uh, The the numbers keep growing. Of course. For today. We were down 74 points. (laughs) Two minutes left. We were down something like 12 in a minute 10. In an elimination game, I think it was NCS finals. It was down in San Jose. Semifinals because we beat uh, was it Cappuccino? Vanden. Vanden, that's yeah. right. Anyway, that oh. game, you don't, you just do not come back from twelve down with a minute ten without a tremendous yeah. amount of luck. They have to miss, you have to make. Right. But somebody's got to rip the ball out of someone's arms, right? So there's one play in the middle of that comeback, and I remember being conscious of like, are we really doing this right now? This is insane. You're fouling on purpose. Yep. They're missing free throws. You're hitting threes. Like That's the rhythm, right? One time, though, the guy dribbles down the middle of the key, and this is a layup, time to foul. Johnny doesn't foul. He just rips the ball from the guy's hands. And that's the difference, right? That rip, if he fouls, it's a free throw we right. lose. Right. Season over. But he chooses a different path. He makes a smart play and rips. And that led to us ending up in the state finals, right? We won three more. We must have won three more games after that, or something. Just one more, and then then state finals. And that kind of stuff shows up 
in when we're in evaluations and we see a kid sprinting down the court to get back on defense, or you blow the whistle or huddle up and the kid that sprints to get into the huddle, right? And instead of walking or, or kind of strolling, those little things, that's how those plays happen, right? Yeah, and like it, and it's, like you get back to brand and reputation. So the current head coach at Archie Lewis High School is a gentleman named Russ, right? Great guy. One hour. I was running a clinic at Pirate Camp, Falcon Camp, a couple of years ago. It's me yelling like an idiot in the middle of the court. You've seen me do this. I just sort of lose my mind and try to get everybody going full speed. It's a good description. Yeah, no, like none of it really makes sense, but it's full speed. Right. right? That's the idea. And I'm yelling something ridiculous like, who wants to go? Who? You know, just full-throated passion. And, and there's probably 120 kids in the gym. And I'm trying to Jedi mind trick them. And I turn around, look to my right, and Russ is standing next to me, dripping wet, sweating. And I was like shocked, like, oh my God, there's someone else on the court. And it's Russ. And why is he sweating, right? But he's committed to me. He's committed to being in the moment, working as hard as he can. Yeah. Selling it, setting the example. Yeah. Right? And you, I will never forget that. And that's that sort of brand thing, I think, that matters a lot. So we talk to your kid. It's like, it's not dive on the court to trick a coach. It's just be the kid that dives on the court. Sure. Play that way. Yeah. Whoever plays that way, plays better. Yeah. Absolutely. We can uh, we can uh, sniff out fake hustle, can't we? Coach? Yes. Fake so my hustle. my coach in high school, Jonas Honick, who Duffy Ballard, we talked about. <laughs> my, my, I'll my, be back <laughs> next episode. Way to go, Duff. <laughs> my Branson High School coach, Jonas Honick, legendary coach, multiple state titles. Fulton talked about him. Had a, a great saying that I still remember. When I uh, there's one time in practice where I made some flailing attempt and I dove on the floor unnecessarily, and he said, Levine. Flamboyant yet ineffective. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which wins all day. All, yes. It wins all day over d- lack of flamboyance. Yes. The hardest, my hardest struggle, I think all of us probably agree on this, the yeah. hardest thing for me as a coach is to motivate someone who doesn't play very hard. And I haven't figured out how to do it. And I listened to your last podcast. Yeah. Fulton does it with love. The previous generation did it with. With negative reinforcement or That's whatever. The term. That's the term. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. and I've had kids in the third through and I'm just I'm I am i i do not know how to do it. I've chosen love the last couple of years. Yeah. And Duffy Ballard is helping with that because he has a very uh, we coached together recently for the CYL and he's got a real nice mentality to him. Johnny's got that same thing. Yes. Johnny calmly pulls a kid aside and has a real nice conversation. Yeah. I'm trying to learn how to be that version of coach because Yelling at a kid to play hard who's not playing hard does not work, for sure. So, um, you guys are both really good um, at teaching skills. So, John, you're, you're, you know, I said last podcast, Duffy's the best shooter in Marin history. You're, Johnny, you're, you're up there. You have a beautiful stroke, great shooter. It looks good. It doesn't and always end in good results. Flamboyant yet ineffective. <laughs> um, you walk into the gym and... Uh, the first thing that you do is you grab a ball and you stand two feet in front of the hoop with one arm and you're working on your form. Yeah. And we were talking about this with Fulton that kids today, the Steph Curry effect, they grab a ball off the rack and they're, they go out to 32 feet and start heaping them up. And you literally with one arm, perfect form, and you do that for five minutes. Yes. And then, and then you start stepping back and after 10 minutes or so, now you're, you're shooting. Uh, I want my kids to learn shooting from you. Tom, you are the best footwork teacher around um, that I've ever seen. You're amazing at working with post players. You're great working with guards too, but 
but your your footwork is 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 unbelievable. So, thank you. Skills training, right? And we talked about this with Fulton too. Skills training is really important, and working on shooting, working on footwork is great. You two both were forged. Your games were forged in the the salt mines of the outdoor courts at Drake. That's Playing right. pickup against older, stronger guys who would kick your ass. Right. Is that lost in today's game? Like when you're looking at players today, we, we don't have the outdoor courts, the, the runs that we used to have at Drake High outdoor courts, right? So, I mean, it's obvious that like we asked Fulton this question, you know, what's the right combination? Half skills training, half playing pickup. What do you guys think? I mean, talk, expand on that playing because you, Tommy, you always talk about that playing pickup at the Drake courts. That's how you. That's how you learn the game, right? Yeah. Tony. Um, yeah, and for those that are twenty five years and younger, it's not the one Drake court. It's where the, out, it's where out, the swimming pool is the now. Swimming pool used to uh, yeah. is now. There was four courts there. Um, on a Saturday and Sunday, you know, between ten and two, you have two, three, four games going all at one time, and guys are coming from all over the Bay Area um, to play in this game, and uh, it was competitive, um, and uh, there was always a run, and then in the uh, during the week, like four o'clock, four thirty, guys would start coming down, yeah, um, and it was. It was great for for me because um, I jump in there when I was a little bit younger, and these guys were grown men. Maybe not the best basketball players, but um, they knew how to play. They were big. They were strong. Um, they you know knock you knock you down. You learn how to kind of hold your own. You know carve out some space for yourself, um, and chance to develop areas of your game that um, you wouldn't otherwise. Um, I like to kind of look at that opportunity, even going back, um, even if I were able to do it all over again, to be really more mindful of, you know, approaching those games as an opportunity to develop my skills in the sense of, okay, today, you know, I want to work on, you know, getting the ball with back to the basket yeah. and those most, or how to get to the basket from the perimeter, um, or guarding a smaller guy or guarding a bigger guy or whatever it was, just something that um, that, I w- that I want to improve on, um, and just kind of focus on that. Um, I mean, one thing, Johnny, that's a cut you off, but yeah, um, one of the things that I liked about those games were you guys were playing against players. You knew some of them, but sometimes you're playing with with older guys who you don't know who they are. Ooh, the coffee's the coffee's flowing. By the way, that's, yeah. that's what we're doing. Iced coffee, Dean. Uh, sure. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Thank you. So Duffy Ballard, his second appearance. Duffy, Duffy's amazing. He's multi-talented. Thank you, Duffy. Um, right, you got to recurring theme. You got to figure out how to play with people you don't know, and that's one of the beautiful things about basketball, is it's kind of this universal language, um, where you can walk on a court in you know the middle of Croatia, and there are nine guys and you're the tenth, and you got to figure it out, right? And you know you pass and screen away, you pass and cut to the basket. You play help side defense. It's this universal language. And those Drake outdoor courts, you're playing against these guys who you don't know, or women, and that builds your maturity. It helps you grow up, yeah. right? Totally. And as you're saying this, it, it made me think, too, is that you know you didn't get to cho- choose your, who was on your team. And you would get you know maybe some knuckleheads on your team, but 
you had to win because if you didn't win, then you were going to be off You're sitting you know, for two, three, four games. Exactly. And so you couldn't sit there and complain that you're playing, you know, with the selfish, you know, the guy who's selfish or the guy who couldn't play or, or whatever. Um, you had to figure out how to make that work. Um, so that's a great point. Yeah. Um, and, and it kind of, yeah, it, 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 it helps um, uh, with the team aspect and how to fit in the team and kind of what it is that you're looking for from a teammate and who, the teammate that you don't want to be at the same time. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we, we see it with youth kids today in particular, but it's always been the case. They want to play with their friends, right? You want to go, you want to be on a team with your friends, you want to play with your friends. And my view is, you know what? It's great for you to not play with your friends. I mean, I know you, it's awesome to be with your friends, but learn how to play with people you don't know. Right. I mean, that's that's part of growing up and it's a great lesson. And you guys are both extremely personable, friendly people. You're great in a room. I think that your your guys experience playing basketball against strangers your whole lives has helped inform that ability. Yeah, 100 percent. You meet a tremendous amount of people through the sport of basketball. And I encourage you to attach as a appendix addendum uh, to this podcast Duffy's email about basketballism his end-of-the-year diatribe. Uh, what is the book called? David Duffy? Hollander, How Basketball Can Save the World. Right. It's a great book. Right. And it's specific to us, but in the basketball people, but it's not, right? It's about community and culture and connectivity and friendship. And the, the, the number of friends that I've met from all kinds of different walks of life through basketball is incredible. So my journey to a lot of those people is basketball. You know, I, I, I lived in Kansas, played in Kansas, and I spent Christmas in Joplin, Missouri with a very religious man who's not a pastor, and I lived, stayed at his house over Christmas and went to church with him. And then I had a very different experience in, in some very different areas, you know, with, with different backgrounds that were quite the opposite of religious, I'd say, along the way. So you meet people, and you have to navigate that, and you have to, you have to be able to get along with them. And also, you know, if you're the type of person that doesn't get along with people, or you shoot too much... You know, Johnny said you don't choose your teams in these pickup games, but sometimes it depends on the run. So pickup sort of gone. I got that. Drop-in pickup is sort of gone. Now yeah. pickup is like rented gym, uh, curated invite list, which is fine. But this is like, you know, the Drake Outdoor Courts, very different from the Marina Courts in San Francisco. Those courts, whoever was up next had game. So I was the last guy not on the previous game. I have game. Right. Meaning I have the next game and I get to choose the choose four team. people. Yes. Generally, you just take the next four. But there is some navigation around like, I don't know, that guy shoots a lot. That guy doesn't play defense. Right. Your, your reputation follows you. And then, you know, playing down in Venice, like my brother was a lifeguard in, in Los Angeles, and I'd go play those Venice courts, which is where White Man Can't yep. was filmed. That's a very different thing. This is not my hometown. I don't get to make choices at all. I'm lucky to be on the court. Yeah. And you start navigating around who's good, who should move the ball to, who do you avoid, and then also how do you avoid conflict? There's a lot of conflict avoidance in basketball. Yeah. And you know, I've been punched in the face a few times playing basketball, and you learn like maybe that's the wrong guy to that's be running into today, yeah. or maybe just be ready when the punches come in your way, kind of thing. Yeah. So it does force you to grow up. And I like the idea a lot of playing with people you've never met. In those Drake Outdoor Courts, you know, you had the lefty shooter Jake, who was like a sheet metal guy, right? And then you had Shaman. Shaman, right? That was yeah. his name? 
skinny, fast, aggressive. Like I could never guard that guy. But right. today you're guarding him, right? Yeah. And then you had pure shooters like Mark Blue was down there, you know, shooting jumpers from the corner. And I had some really special, special days down there. And some days you just get run, get your butts kicked. One day down there, another sort of breakthrough moment for me as a player, not as like mm -hmm. no one else remembers this day except me kind of thing. Right. I'm down there and you know the value of a cut, the value of a back screen, the value of a flare. There's all these things you can do on a basketball court that are very helpful. But how do you learn them? Right? Who teaches you? when to cut uh, we didn't have travel ball and personal trainers back then right but i found myself on the court one day and i was probably a sophomore in high school and on the court with me was paul trevor yep. legendary all-time defensive guru played at drake coaches at cal state his la yeah yeah uh, no he's at um stanislaus stanislaus right his license plate was dr d 87 yeah and he <laughs> because would he was a doctor of defense, and he yes. graduated high school in '87, and yes. he was he was he was great to watch. But the rest of the team was Bucky Chavez, who's arguably the greatest player to ever come out of Marin yeah. County. That you would never know. He's not, he doesn't show up in the stat sheet, right? Right. Played Eddie, pro ball in Mexico. Eddie Joe Chavez, who torched the dream team and the run into the the greatest player, according to Mike Fulton, the greatest player to come out of Marin, and I don't disagree with him. Right. I wouldn't question that either. Right. Yeah. Only superseded by his brother Bucky, yeah, right. who was the hardest matchup I've ever had. I played for years against Bucky and yeah. just never ever got him ever ever. Still, he's the only player that like I could never ever figure out how to stop him, and he would just shut me down. Yeah, even when I was at that twenty-seven-year-old peak, and he was not anymore, he'd still get me. Yeah, and the last part of the course, Pat Sandel, uh, unbelievable. And, and it's like, and in, and so just for your listening audience, the point of that is here's. Four incredibly gifted, hardworking, talented basketball players who play perfect basketball. Perfect basketball. Pat Sandel's been a Division One coach for years. He's currently the assistant coach at University of San Diego under Steve Lavin, but he's been at Pitt. He's been at Northern Arizona. Yeah. He's had an unbelievable coaching career and was one of the most intimidating defensive players that I've ever played against. Oh, he'd block your shot, but he wouldn't block it. He'd just catch it. Yeah. And then he's gone. Crenshaw High School. So a little bit of spoken history here, spoken word history, because yeah. those are four people that are, are you know, let, Pat's not from here, the other three are. But the moral of the story is that that day, if I would cut, I'd set a away screen, and I'd cut to the hoop, and boom, the ball, ball would just show up. Yeah. Like, it would just show up in my hands. Like, I don't know how it got there. That's right. I never experienced that before. And now I have a wide open lip. Now I probably have wide open lips because everybody's worried about Eddie <laughs> <Trent laughs> <Andy> Joe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But those guys probably quietly never talked about it, but let's let's feed the kid. Yep. It was a feed the kid day. And so I had this epic all-time for me moment. Um, but what I learned that day was you cut and you play good people, it shows up. And then you start cutting people up, yep. right? And you start slicing apart defenses and you find angles and separation and opportunity. And it never happens when you dribble the ball up and shoot it. It happens in this flow of basketball. Well, when it when it works, when you're on a floor on the floor with a team, whether it's your high school team, your college team, or you're playing pickup at outdoor courts, and the ball is moving and everybody's involved and you're playing basketball the right way, there's no feeling like it. I mean, I think what do they say, Duff? It's basketball alchemy. Um, in that David Hollander book, it's a, it's a great book. Everybody, we're we're not sponsored by this book, but uh, everybody should read it. How basketball can save the world. It's a it's a really special feeling. And by the way, we're talking about playing against players you don't know. After you spend 90 minutes sweating with those guys, 
now you're friends, yeah. right? Even if you battled each other and punched each other in the face, mm-hmm. there's a mutual respect that you'd get from playing pickup basketball with somebody. Yeah. And that's how friendships are made and, and bonds are made. And really quick, yeah. too, I, I think that also speaks to getting outside of your comfort zone. You know, you talk about playing with your friends because it's comfortable, it's familiar. Um, and to get able to step outside of that, to really kind of test yourself, see what you're you know, capable of doing and, and, and growing in that way. If we stay kind of within our comfort zone, that's kind of where our game is going Absolutely. to remain. And so being able to, you know, you know, even if just kind of saying hello to a coach or whatever it might be, just these little things that make us kind of, you know, uncomfortable. Recording Starting a podcast. Yep. Scary. <laughs> exactly. Scary. Um, but, yeah. Well, that, well, that's what Fulton was saying about uh, Hanek, you know, my high school coach. He would make practices uncomfortable and miserable and really hard because his philosophy was, if you guys can figure out how to get through this practice, a game is going to be easy for you. Yeah. Right, well, and, and you, it's getting out of that comfort zone. Yeah. You can't get better without losing, and you can't get better without mistakes. And you've heard me say this a million times, but you can't avoid mistakes. You have to look for them and hunt them. Yeah, and you have to be in pursuit of mistakes. And the moment you start making intelligent mistakes that lead to improvement, then you start improving as a basketball player. And sure. So, uh, kids come up, right? You get this question a lot: How can I get better? What should I be doing? And there's the answer is a million things. There's so much in basketball. It's a skill sport. It's right. not like just run faster. Um, but the number one thing I always say is pick someone a grade, two grades older than you. And Fulton touched on this yes. in his podcast. And by the way, we should, Fulton, you should just do every podcast with Fulton. He's <laughs> amazing. pretty good. Three state titles, all the above, right? Yeah. Um, but that's it. Pick someone much better than you. Not so much better that you get beat 21-0. You want to lose, but not by that much. Right. And get your butt kick and get your butt kick because that it, it's, it comes down to like brain development more than physical development. I'm going to drive right. I got my shot blocked. Okay, well, next time I need four more inches on my release to get that shot off. Right. Okay, that means I got to go a little quicker, a little faster. Well, I'm not going to make that shot. And so then you go lose, lose, lose. And then you realize, oh, for me to score on this guy who's better than me, I have to go so much faster. I got to start with a much bigger fake. And then when I get there, it's not your practice reps. Johnny's got, I'm going to skip ahead here. Johnny's got a term, uh, and it's not uh, practice makes perfect. It's perfect practice makes perfect, yeah. right? Yeah. And so you have to commit to this perfection of your craft. Um, but the balance between playing versus practicing, you play to discover what you're bad at, and you practice to improve the areas you're bad at. Right. So go pick an older brother. Go pick a kid two years older, and just challenge him to one-on-one. Yeah. Now it's got to be committed, hard work, Dedicated. You want two guys doing this who are willing to die on the floor kind of people. This is not what you see today, which is kids just playing one-on-one and shooting threes. That's It's just a different version um, that, that doesn't lead to improvement as, as quickly. Totally agree. So we only have a few minutes left here. I could talk to you guys for, for hours. But um, I would like, uh, Tom, first, I'd like you to quickly tell the Olajuwon story because this is a this is kind of a unique one I mean growing up Hakeem Olajuwon was your absolute hero you would watch videos of him he was how you modeled your game after and uh, why don't you tell the, the story of what happened to you recently well yes Hakeem is my favorite player of all time and I think he's the greatest big man of all time statistically that's not true but from a footwork and skill perspective it's absolutely true yep 
Um, and I just, I've modeled my entire existence off him. And I do several things on the basketball court well, several things not well. The one thing I do, the, the best thing that I do best is is score on the low block. Yes. Um, that doesn't translate to playing defense on the low block, unfortunately. Um, so I found my limit along the way. But anyway. You can set a good screen too, Tom. Oh, thank you. Velcro, can you Velcro a guy? Hey, by the way, I've never heard the term Velcro until I listened to your podcast. Yeah, I mean, you're welcome. And I didn't know nail was to mark the court, so I learned, I knew of the nail. Tom, we want to entertain, but we also want to educate and inform. Okay, tell your logic. I will story. tell you, I really Velcro that guy. It doesn't really sell what happened in that no, collision. No, yeah. A little more violence than that, but I enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, so uh, Chris Ballard, Duffy's brother, who's a journalist and a renaissance man like Duffy and yes. like Dave. You guys are very talented, educated, um, awesome people. Uh, he's a Sports Illustrated writer, and he's writing an article on the lost art of the big man. I call it the lost art of the big man. I yeah. call it the resurgence of the big man, although that's not what he uh, labeled it as. Um, and I got to fly to Houston. He was scheduled to interview Hakeem Olajuwon, um, the greatest post player of all time. And uh, I was the gentleman who was lucky enough to be on the court. And Hakeem and I played one-on-one. We laughed. I cried. Uh, he made fun of me. He blocked my shot. He stole the ball from me. And it was the greatest two hours of my life. And I told my wife when I got home, I love you, baby. Uh, but that was the greatest day of my life. I got to meet my hero and play basketball with him. And I've been teaching kids how to play the way Hakeem plays forever. And I've never had anyone teach me how to play like Hakeem because mm. nobody does that. Yep. I've never had a post coach do that. It's always drop step, baby hook, drop step, counter. Um, so for you young players out there, um, you know how to Google, Duff. People know how to Google. You're going to go to Google and the first thing you're going to do is, is YouTube um, Hakeem Olajuwon footwork and just watch videos of him in case you haven't seen him play. But then I encourage you to Google Hakeem Olajuwon, Tom Poser, Sports Illustrated, whatever, find the article. It's an unbelievable read. Um, and uh, it's not often that we get to meet our absolute heroes. I mean, that is a unique experience for you. And uh, we were really psyched for you. And it, and the article does a great job of of explaining how um, you guys work together. And it, it, it's, it's super cool. So. Yeah, and we're making it sound like the article was about me and Akeem. I was a, a small piece towards the end. It was about the big man and Jokic and, right. and Shaq and Akeem and the art. and how It's really a narrative about how basketball shifted away from the basket. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I snuck in there, which, which was an incredible moment for me. Awesome. Okay, Johnny, we're going to go to the lightning round. Uh, now, the, fast the, the lightning yeah, round last time was not lightning. Uh, it was slow. It was like me trying to get to the basket. Well, um, yeah. Well, you see my game. I don't that's, move very fast. That's true. Or, or it's slow moving. Um, okay. You guys, you guys are good. You guys are really fast. John, what is your favorite gym in Marin County? Oh, it's the Drake Gym. Uh, even though it's been kind of had a facelift. But before all of the, the, the redos in that gym... Um, you just walked in and it just smelled like basketball. Um, even after all the, the paint and the, this and that, uh, you know, all that, uh, it still has that feel. Maybe I'm biased. I grew up in that gym. Yeah. I feel like that's my second home. Um, so that is my favorite gym. Okay. You have, uh, what's the greatest Marin high school basketball team ever? Um, it's got to be the A2 Drake team. 
Tom, disagree? Agree? I was going to go with the 1994 32 and 4 NorCal Championship. Tell us about those four losses. Do you have detail on that? <laughs> and I, I was responsible for one of them. So, yeah, <laughs> okay. I'm going to go with and, Let's move on. And Mike said the 82 by far. Um, I don't think this, there is any question. I thought we were pretty good. Um, that, that 94 team, too, Tommy. Um, but maybe that's after 30 years of reflecting back on it and, and losing some of the. Um, there know, have been some. Significance. There have been some really good teams. I mean, Hanuk had some amazing Branson teams. Not yep. my, my team was, was fine. We were really good. But uh, won a couple state titles with Oliver McNally. Those teams were, were pretty good, pretty athletic. Running Catholics had some unbelievable teams yeah. over the years. So, yeah, there, there, have been, there have been some good teams, but I, I, I agree. I think the Drake won. But the 82 team was undefeated. And were they undefeated the year before? Maybe they took one loss. And one loss. And then yeah. they would go on to win. Drake would go on to win. 87 or 86 games and league games in a row, something like that. Yeah, and we were that's, I mean, that's the birthplace for us, right? I know this is a Drake heavy, Archie Williams heavy podcast, but the truth is, we were talking about blessed from a basketball perspective. We grew up at Pyre Camp being taught by the people who didn't lose a league game for five or six Mm -hmm. straight years, those were the people Steve Spencer teaching a defensive slide drill outside. Short shorts, hairy legs, stance, right? Mike Hayward teaching post play at Pirate Camp. Like, you talk about opportunity and time, like, that doesn't exist for most people. We were very lucky. And Come really on. quick, I know this is the lightning yeah. round and we're coming to a dead halt here, but um, like, we, we are really lucky because at that time, you know, guys like Pete Hayward, um, he wanted to expose kids to the game. Um, and give them an opportunity to play. Yeah. Um, if it was in their camp or if it was uh, in the in the adult league and high school leagues that he had over the over the summer, um, uh, that exposure was for everybody and just to get have them be part of the game. And and you three guys here are continuing that. And um, that's not everywhere you go. Um, the game was taught the right way then. You guys are now teaching it yeah. uh, the right the the right way now. Um, and you know these kids, if they know it or not, um, they will at some point how blessed they are to have this opportunity. So, um, uh, well said. Yeah, that's yeah. I'll leave it at that. Okay, final question in the lightning round, which is tough. We're we're, we're lightning through this, aren't we? Um, <laughs> your dream team, you and four others going to play in the the blacktop at, at Drake. Oh, it's, it's this room right here. It's the four of us. I've been super lucky to have a second life basketball resurgence. And our, our adult league team is full of um, people who cut and screen and dive yeah. on the floor. And we're over 45 diving on the court and committed to winning. And it's a really beautiful version of basketball. We've got shooters and big men and screeners. And it's just... I wouldn't, I, would, I wouldn't dare test the, the karma of the basketball gods to say anybody but the people we're playing with right now. It's been a really good run for about a decade now, right? We've been playing together. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, it's a, basketball's a, a way to build friendships, which is what Duffy and I have talked about a lot. One of the reasons we wanted to, to do this podcast in the first place. And here we are in our mid to late 40s. Some of us are over 50. And uh, we're still playing together. Yeah, it's it's still fun, and the amount of text traffic and email traffic and brain space that we use about thinking about these silly rec league games that happen on Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, you'd be shocked. 
Well, right. but just as important to me is the fifth grade game with Johnny. Fifth grade is 10. You're 10 years old in fifth grade. So yeah. that right? Yeah. So Johnny and I started playing basketball together in 86, right? 1986. I don't yeah. know how many years ago it was, but it was a long time. Long time. And, and, this, and here we are, right? Having a cup of coffee and eating some bacon and talking hoops. So yeah. this basketball is a man. It brings you together. And that, you know, and I think about that all the time and, you know, how blessed I've been to, to be able to play this game, but play the game with the people that I, that I care about. Um, and, you know, um, uh, throughout high school, you know, where I got, you know, Tommy and um, my, my brothers on the team, two of my cousins are on yeah. the team. Um, and, you know, we end the game and we then we go out to somebody's house and, you know, and celebrate. Um, and then in, um, you know, some iced tea, <laughs> some, pop, pop tarts. Tarts. Some, some pop tarts. Yep. Okay. And, uh, in our, you know, in my adult life, you know, got, you know, I've been able to, I, I wanted to keep playing and play with the people that I care about. And so in the Drake league or, you know, in the league that we're in now, just getting guys that are my buddies and my friends and they just so happen to be great basketball players as well. And so, yeah. um, it's been it's been great, and I feel lucky because I don't think that's everybody's experience with with basketball. And so, Nuts. Um, yeah. So awesome. Well, thanks, you guys. As always, we could we could keep talking, but um, I think we I, should, Dave. I think we should have them do their whiteboard chalkboard moment. Oh, don't you think? Sure. Whiteboard chalkboard. Yeah, yeah. Johnny, you're first. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what that I don't means. Know. <laughs> it, it means like you drew up one play. Yeah, one one great play that you drew up. We we prepped you for this. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm yeah. ready. I want to hear. I, I know. I know what Tom's is going to be. I think. Do you? I think so. I think I know Tom's as well. Yeah, yeah it's isolation on the block. <laughs> Everybody else from back on the yeah. I got it from here. Yeah, it's super great. It's really it's exciting basketball. <laughs> yeah, I haven't drew up a play in 25 years, so I'm the worst guy to ask this question. Um, but I'll just go with you know with with Tommy's. I'll dump the ball in Tommy and go back on defense. Yeah, that's that's great. Because that's usually how it goes. Because once he gets the ball, he's not going to pass it. Um, so there's no reason to stay down there. I'm learning how to be a good teammate. <laughs> All right, Tom, what's your chalkboard moment? Well, you know what it is, Dave. I'm glad you brought this up. It's a very important part of my life. We uh, Duffy and I coached an eighth grade CYO basketball team very recently. Just season just ended last season. And Dave, you were not on the coaching staff, but you were secretly an assistant coach mm-hmm. slash head coach on that coaching staff. And it was, uh, you know, as you get older, you start living vicariously through the kids. And uh, to get back to the idea that the ball moves around, when it moves around as a coach, it's even more rewarding than when it moves around as a player. When you see it happen, it, it, it brings a, I get a little emotional. I get a little teary about stuff like that. I love it. So anyway. Championship game against Marin City, uh, Paul Austin, and uh, I want to be here when you film the History of Tam podcast, if you don't mind, because that'll be fascinating. Yeah. Uh, the, the Going back to Jerry Mack and Brian Murphy and Paul Austin and Kamani yeah. and all these guys, that's going to be a great day. Um, so I hope we can, I hope you guys survive and expand into that territory, because it's worth it. But anyway, we're playing... Uh, my kid, Paul Austin, and I, Paul graduated 94 TAM. We played against those guys in high school, and his kid, Kyron, is the same age as my kid, Eddie. And Duffy's kid, uh, Holden, is on the team. Really special year. We're favored to win. We're really good. The kids are really good, I should say. Um, anytime you think you're a good coach, you flash back to Mike Saya, who told me recently, uh, Tom, I've never seen a jockey carry a horse across the finish line. So if you don't have the kids, yes. you're only as good as that. 
What was the question again? <laughs> it's a lightning round. I'm oh, sorry. We're down, uh, we're down 25 to 10 to start the championship game, and we're getting absolutely torched. And we crawl, climb, scrap, you know, scratch our way back to it. And we need uh, a bucket. We're down to with some version of 12 seconds to remain in regulation. And uh, I drop a play. Uh, and in hindsight, I'll shortcut the story. It's a play uh, that Dave Levine has stolen from San Domenico basketball, girls with Mike Fulton. So it, Ken, who wrote that play? You, Mike? Fulton. Fulton wrote the play. It got transferred into Dave's brain. Uh, and it got transferred into Duffy's brain. And Duffy wrote up the play in the preseason. Uh, it, but he put it in as an early offense fast break. Right, Duffy? Is that fair to say? Yeah. And then somehow, I'm not a very bright man, I'm not as educated as you guys are, but it, it made its way through my thick skull and into my brain, and then I had an epiphany, and I thought it was so bright and brilliant, but it came from Fulton to Dave to Duffy to me. So it's called Two. Yep. We didn't have a name for it, but we drew it up, and we put the ball in our best player's hands, dribbling, uh, if you're facing the basket, from the left to the right side across the free throw line, right across the nail. Mm-hmm. And we had a uh, staggered double screen, so there's a screen at the free throw line elbow, and we knew this team was going to switch everything, so we forced our first switch right there. Mm-hmm. They did like we wanted them to. They switched it. The guy that switched onto it next ran into our biggest player on the opposite elbow, Big Chase. We got what we wanted, which was the second switch. We told Oliver as he came over the second screen, by the way, that makes uh, one, two, three players. The other two players are on the left side. We're keeping them out of the mm-hmm. way. We want to hide a shooter in the corner, left side. Yep. And then the fourth player uh, starts on the right, cuts under the hoop as this is occurring, drags a defender. Drags a defender, him, yep. Creates a little bit of a chaos distraction yep. at the rim. Just get someone to do the wrong move. Get someone to make the wrong choice is the idea. And then we tell Oliver, uh, turn the corner after that second screen. And these are very smart young men. And... Um, we say, coming out of timeout, if you turn the corner and you got a layup, go. Uh, if you turn the corner and you do not have a layup, that means the switch occurred. We wanted flare out. The big man said in the second screen, rolled, hit him, Velcro level screen, Duffy, and rolled perfectly to the rim. And the, the dribbler flared out to the three-point line, dumped into the big guy. But then my favorite part is he caught it. He calmly... Did a hop step, not a drop step. Moved both his feet, banged his left shoulder into the defender to create a 45-degree angle. Shout out to the Tachiki, our first Tachiki reference. And he kissed just a beautiful, soft, easy, right-handed layup off. So it was a culmination of this coaching tree, osmosis of plays into people's brains. But it's also, we're on year 10 of teaching Chase yeah. how to catch run into your fender, don't hit him so hard you knock him down and get a charge. Right, but draw the contact. Yeah, it all sort of culminated in one little it was a It was a great moment. Um, one thing that I, Tom is humble, but early in that game when you guys were down 25 to 10 and it was just a buzzsaw, um, you called timeout, it's chaos, and all you're saying to your kids is, we're fine. This is good. We're fine. And a lot of coaches, like me, would be like, Oh crap! <laughs> you know what, what the hell is going on? Pull your heads out of your asses. You were just positive, next play mentality, and your kids just slowly dug out of it and figured it out. And little things 
make big changes in momentum in basketball. And you guys fought your way back. And then that last play was, was awesome. Um, what I liked about it is after that game, uh, you said, yeah, you know, I, I saw that play somewhere. I think I was watching TV and I said, no, you, you, you got that play for me. <laughs> that's right. Um, so yeah, that was, well, and, and, and that's how basketball works. These things flow into you in some meaningful way. Totally. And, uh, I wish I had remembered that play and ran it 25 times prior to that. It just worked out great. We needed a bucket. Yeah. Put the ball in your best player's hands, but create a situation that allows them to have success, multiple options. Right. And then you end up with your biggest player with the ball being guarded by one of their smallest players. Right. That was the magic. That's the magic to that play. Yeah. You get a switch and a switch and you end up you have predetermined for them who will be guarding your biggest and best player on the block with the ball. Yep. You've structured it that way. That's that play. Right. And if they make a mistake along the way and don't switch. You've got your best ball, and they're coming downhill for a layup. Well, at, at San Domenico, we, we ran it because we had a really, still do, have a really good point guard named Summer Jenkins who could handle it, come off a screen and pull up or drive. Mm-hmm. And we had a really good post player last year, Maya Sakaska. So that was what we wanted. We wanted that mismatch with, with we wanted them to switch. Right. right. And if they didn't, Summer's got a layup or a pull-up jumper. And if they switch, Maya's got a bucket. Yeah. And so that's, again, back to what we were talking about with Fulton, designing plays around your personnel, right? right? If you have a bunch of really good quick guards, but you don't have a, a, a big player where that switch is going to be a mismatch, that's not a great play for you to run. But you, with your personnel, Tommy, I mean, that was, it was perfect for Oliver and Chase. So, yeah, uh, I, wish, I wish coaches would do more of this. Forget the individual, individuality of that play, but like we run that play called Hot Butter. Yeah. Which is both guards opposite sides run through the key. It's just a bingo where both guards go through the key out the other side, right when the ball crosses half court with the point guard. And then the two post players set back picks for the first cut and down screens for the next cut. And what you've got now is all five players in motion, right? And you've got one, two, three, four screens happening before the first pass happens. Yeah. Someone's going to make a mistake defensively. So you've got what you want, which is motion and speed and chaos. And you've got a defense that doesn't know what's coming or where the screens are coming from. And the moment they figure it out, you go opposite with it. Right. Right? But that, to get back to your pickup versus skills, I, I like this training now of cones and chairs and all that. But you got to go out there and get hit, knocked down, and run around. And, and that's my number one with these kids. you got to go play. Yeah. you got to play. Learn how to make decisions. And you got to play without coaches. Right? right. That's what's not happening. Playing in a gym without coaches is just yeah. not happening right now yeah absolutely all right guys it's been fantastic uh we might we might need to have a a, a version two what do you mean we get to you know the player that tom least likes having him guarded right yeah hint it's the guy sitting next to him john grinchy um (laughs) thank you tom and john the odds of you guys recording this are about 25 percent, so we might just be starting over (laughs) right all right thank Thank you guys thanks guys okay thanks duffy Thank you. Fantastic. I'm still going. Now I get to talk to myself. Good job, guys. I realized I was eating bacon at the end. Hey, Dave, what do you think of that interview? That was... I thought that was awesome. Uh, You know, it's going to be a a recurring theme that we're going to say, man, we could have talked to that guest for hours, but that one, uh, I really really felt that way. I thought it was a, a great conversation. Thought they both said some really insightful things. 
uh, I love how John talked about um, playing in the outdoor courts and creating some space for yourself and carving out some space for yourself. And there's a physical side to that, but then also kind of an emotional side of figuring out where you fit within this group of people that you don't know, uh, being a young player playing against bigger, older guys. Um, I just thought, I thought that was great. I love Tom's story about playing in the outdoor courts as well with Bucky and Eddie Joe and just cutting and getting the ball right in his hands, even not, not knowing where it came from. So yeah. I thought it was really fun. Can't uh, listen to it. Can't wait to listen to it again. Yeah. And yeah, basketball is pretty unique uh, in my opinion, at least I'm biased. I think you are too about it creates situations like that where you have to sort of figure out your role in a team in a way that other sports don't so much. And part of it is the nature of it being five people on the floor together and it being a very fluid game, positionless. We'll probably talk about, you know, um, this a lot more in the podcast. But uh, yeah, that, I, I was glad to hear that come up and also have hear Tommy talk, talk about that play. And one thing as a, as a coach, just watching Tom draw that up, sure it was a play that had been somewhere had been in the background of our minds and we had maybe put in before, but he brought it out at the right moment with the right personnel on the floor for our team, but also the opponent. And that is something that is really hard to do, I think, because you can have prepared a play, you could have prepared a play against an opponent, but to be able to toggle to a play that is the right play in that moment against what the opponent has been doing that game, that really does require sort of thinking on the fly. What Tom and John both do really well as players and as coaches is they slow down when things get chaotic. And it's something that I'm learning to do in my life is when things are hectic to slow down and not get lost in the moment. And that was a situation where it was a packed, loud gym. It was a championship. It was an eighth grade championship. Your son, Tom's son, Scott Chachiki, the other great coach on that team, their son, this is the last CYO game they're going to play together. There was a lot riding on that moment. You're down two with 12 seconds left. And Tom had the ability to slow down and think and find that play in the recesses of his mind and draw it up. And the kids had the presence of mind to slow down and execute it. Yeah. I thought that was super cool. It's beautiful. Yep. All right, time to wrap it up, Dave. We have a new segment, the outro segment, and it's going to be called the Player Control Foul. And this is a segment where we listen, after we listen to an episode, we realize we weren't 100% correct. We effed that up. Uh, and that we're going to own up. So you have one and I have one. I'm, I'm ashamed. Um, I apologize. I mentioned with Fulton that Redwood was the only gym in Marin that had stands behind the hoops. I woke up in the middle of the night a couple nights ago in a cold sweat realizing, oh my goodness, Tam High has stands behind the hoop. And then I quickly went through all the other gyms. I don't think any of the other ones do. I apologize profusely if that's the case, but I want to apologize to the Tam High students, coaches, alumni, fans. Uh, I was wrong and I admit it. Written, written apology is on the way. Absolutely. Okay. Well, wait. good job owning up. I am going to call the player control foul on Dave, but really on me because he overinflated my shooting ability in the first episode. Now, I do like to shoot the ball, and it does go in sometimes, but I will, um, I will have to relinquish the title that you tried to give me 
because yesterday I went one for seven from the field. Duffy, it's it's like the the difference between weather and climate in the great climate change debate. You know, one day does not make uh, a trend. You had mm. one bad night or one day. You're still the best shooter in Marin, Duffy. Mm. All right. Well, we're going to have to keep working on this particular. Uh, I think Bobby Mitchell might have something to say about this. Okay, so we'll see. We'll have to have him on. See what he has to say. Be a good debate. So yes, this is a, a new segment. I'm sure. I'm hoping that we we limit the uh, the content in this segment going forward, so we don't make any mistakes. <laughs> but um, anyway, another great episode. Thanks again to Tom and John for sitting down with us and and sharing their stories. I, I thought that was awesome. And thank you for listening, sticking with us. This is the Run TMC basketball podcast, the Run the Marin County podcast. And Burke's on his feet. He looks up and gives me a grin and says, Hey, dude, you too must be from Marin. Marin County.